Among us, I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It is a real pleasure to have you back here with us. I have an amazing episode slated for this evening, and one hell of an after show booked as well. Over on the beyond, I'll be joined by my good friend, collaborator, and fellow podcast host, David Flora. But more on that later. For right now, let's crack open this case of fresh, paranormally-themed entries. Beginning with J.W.'s call out of the state of Alabama. Hey, Derek, it's J.W. from Athens, Alabama. First, I want to say I love your show, and I really appreciate you giving us all a platform to share our stories. Well, what I'm about to share with you, it's actually an encounter that a friend of mine had. This happened during February at night. So, my friend Steve and Mike, they're driving home from a high school dance. It was a Valentine's dance. And so they're driving home, it's nighttime, and they see a massive creature they describe to be eight foot tall with white fur. And they just got a quick shot at it because again, they're driving down the road and their headlights spot this thing. Steve said him and Mike went from laughing and telling jokes to all of a sudden silence. They felt fear shoot all throughout their body when they saw this thing. And they kept going for a little bit. And they both remained just dead silent. And then they they looked at each other and said, goodness, did we just see what we think we just saw? And so... I wanted to know, you know, is my friend Steve pulling my leg or did he really see, uh, you know, a large, tall, eight-foot creature with white fur standing alongside of the road? Well, you know, I asked my friend Mike his side of the story. Well, Mike gave me the same exact story. I asked them separately, and their story holds up. And so, man, we have this thing. After doing some research, I've discovered... There's a creature called the Alabama White Thing, except in Alabama we call it White Thing. (laughs) But there is a creature that is large with white colored fur that is often seen all throughout the North Alabama region. So, if any other listeners have had an encounter with a large creature, possibly at night, approximately eight foot tall, with whitish fur, uh, call in. Because so far, this is the first time that I've heard of this story in the Athens region of Alabama. Anyways, man, I really appreciate your podcast. Stay safe. 
He's right, you know. J.W. took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to tell you about the white thing. But since J.W. introduced this critter, I'll allow Cryptid Central from YouTube to elaborate on all the things the thing has to offer. Descriptions of the Alabama White Thang vary. Several accounts describe it as being between 7 and 8 feet in height and covered in thick white hair with glowing red eyes. Some say that it has no eyes at all. It's as if this cryptid is a type of ape or ape man from another world. There are also eyewitnesses who have reported that the creature resembles a white lion or a giant white sloth. The creature's howls are said to sound like a woman screaming. A foul odour, like that of a dead animal, permeates the area when the creature is close by. Despite its size, the Alabama White Thang can move extremely quickly, able to run at terrifyingly high speeds. Some have reported that even though it walks on two legs, it runs on all fours. If you plan to go camping in the Alabama wilderness, traveler, be sure to pack your running shoes. No, I'm not gonna lie. This sounds eerily similar to those pale crawlers we covered on last week's episode. An odd, white or gray, looming shape. Something massive just beyond the tree line. Well, as you might have realized, there's some distance between southern Florida and northern Alabama. The location of each of the sightings in question. So, if we're to believe something previously unknown to science is lurking around in both these locations, it's only logical to assume that it could happen elsewhere in the south. And lo and behold, it did. Well... Something similar, at least. Out of rural Coffee County, residents there say they've heard unusual animal sounds at night, and several ATV riders say they've seen unusual-looking creatures in the distance. Today, Mike Gerspan spoke to a few people who are trying to figure out what is in the forest between Enterprise and New Brockton. I can just say this: something's going on in the woods. Something's going on. That's right. Timbuktu. And you know, of all the millions of sightings and reports... Joe Blackburn and Tanner Medley work at Bama Slam, an entertainment and recreational venue north of Enterprise. Recently, the two men have received reports from ATV riders of distant sightings of an unusual animal. In addition, folks in the area have heard a loud shriek at night. But it didn't sound like a coyote. Yeah. We get a lot of feedback from the uh, the ATV riders, and one of those recent feedbacks over the last 21, 30 days has been, hey, there's something strange. There's some knocking going on. We hear some screeches. They're not dogs. They're not coyotes. What could it be, right? Now that clip is courtesy of WBTW, CBS News 13 out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And believe it or not, that clip was not nominated for an Oscar. So, like J.W. said, if you've seen something like this, please do let us know. And thank you, J.W., for sharing the terrifying story. Now, if you don't already have it memorized, that number to submit is one 
888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now then, next up we venture to the state of Colorado, where Noah is an entry for us. Hi, Derek. This is Noah, and I am from Boulder, Colorado, and I'm calling to report a UFO sighting that happened rather recently. So it was probably early November. The sun was just about to go down, but it was still daylight out. First off, I was driving in the car with my wife and one of my good friends. And we looked at the sky, and what we could see in the sky looked like essentially a hula hoop that was sitting in an angle. Now, this was the size of a dime to the naked eye. And then off to the side of it appeared to be just like your average orb. And as me and my wife were driving, we were like, oh my God, that's a UFO, you know, and... I stopped the car, and I looked around me, and everybody, this is downtown Boulder, by the way, like, we're in town, everybody on the sidewalks was looking at it, and people were looking at it from his car, and then we tried to take pictures of it, and of course, we couldn't because it was only like a pinprick of light on our cell phone camera, but... The thing that got me, other than, hey, I actually just saw a UFO, was my friend in the back says, no, that couldn't have been a UFO. It just couldn't have. And I found it very interesting, his reluctancy to even accept the fact that they exist, when, especially when one was presented directly in front of us. And I witnessed so many other people see this thing not even funny now not one thing about it has been mentioned in Boulder or on social media whatsoever somebody on a uh, Facebook thread tried to say that I was seeing Saturn now I saw the pictures of Saturn taken through satellite and it did not look like that. This had a hollow center like a hula hoop. And plus, with the naked eye, it should not be the size of a dawn in the sky. So as we watched the objects in the sky, they lingered there for about three to four minutes. And then out of nowhere, they were gone. There wasn't a slow takeoff or anything. It was just they were there one minute, and then one minute they were gone. I think it's funny how we can all see something like that and yet nobody wants to acknowledge yet talk about it. Thank you for your podcast and keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Now, I've heard of a few hula hoop-shaped UFO reports in the past. Most, however, end up with logical explanations. A simple smoke ring from an exploding electrical transformer, which, believe it or not, happens from time to time. Or perhaps a Mylar balloon, maybe in the shape of an O or a zero. But even I can acknowledge that each of those examples that I gave tend to move rather quickly. Nor the smoke or the balloon 
tend to stick around for more than a few seconds before being carried off by even the slightest of winds. But the strange object that Noah reported stayed in place for three or four minutes. No, I can't say that I know exactly what it was that he and others saw that evening, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a balloon and it wasn't a smoke ring. But maybe if you were in the Boulder area and saw this object yourself, why don't you give us a call and let's give Noah some peace of mind. Thanks again, Noah, for calling in. Now a quick reminder that you can pick up some Monsters Among Us merchandise and support the show at the same time by visiting monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And don't forget, a brand new alien big cat design from Hog Island Press is now available in tank tops, t-shirts, and koozies. Now our next stop on this creeptastic cruise carries us to the state of Oregon, where Sarah has a story to share. Hi Derek, my name is Sarah and I'm calling from Portland, Oregon, but I'm originally from western New York, just about south of Buffalo. I've been listening to your show for a long time and I heard you ask a couple episodes back about anyone who worked in a veterinary clinic and had experience with potential animal ghosts. Um, I'm not a veterinarian and I've never worked in a veterinary clinic, but I do have an animal ghost story. When I was in middle school, I believe it was sixth grade, my family moved into a new house. We built the house ourselves. There was nothing on the property previously. We built the house from the ground up. So there were a few spots in the house that just felt a little weird to me, and I just didn't like standing in them. I felt kind of watched, just kind of on display. I just was real uncomfortable standing in those specific spots, and I didn't ever see anything, but it was just like a really uncomfortable feeling and definitely felt like being watched. So when I was home alone at night or if I got home late, I had to pass those spots to get to my room, and I tended to just kind of either walk really fast or run past them just because it made me really uncomfortable. Well, one night I thought my mom had been asleep, but she was sitting there and saw me do this and asked me about it the next day. She was like, I saw you run past the TV. What are you doing? And I had to explain to her that it just didn't feel right. She's like, what do you mean it doesn't feel right? I said, well, I just feel like something's watching me. It's just uncomfortable. I don't like to be there for a long amount of time. She's like, like what, a ghost? I said, maybe, I'm not sure. She said, well, no one died here. We built this house ourselves and there's no reason for it to be haunted. There's no scary man watching you. I said, well, that's fair, but it doesn't feel like a man. She looks really confused, and she says, well, what does it feel like? And so I have to admit to her that it feels like an animal, like a large animal, probably a cow, maybe a horse or a pig. And she looks at me for a second and then bursts out laughing. She says, you think cows are haunting this house? I said, I don't know what's haunting this house. I don't know if it's haunted, but it doesn't feel like a person. It feels like cows. She laughs. Later that night, she calls me into their room and tells me to explain to my father 
what I thought was going on. So then I had to look him in the eye and say, yeah, I think that this house is haunted by cows, pigs, maybe some chickens. He also laughs. So then I'm feeling really silly, but it doesn't help the feeling go away. I'm still real uncomfortable in those spots. But I have to be more careful now because I don't really want my parents to keep laughing at me. So a week or two goes by. My dad calls me back into his room. He says, okay, tell me again what you think is haunting this house. So at this point, I'm just tired. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So I kind of roll my eyes and say, cows, pigs, horses, chickens. I don't know, dad. This time he doesn't laugh. He says, well, I just got back from talking to the neighbor and he was telling me a bit about the property before we bought the place and what it used to be years and years ago. Turns out the land we built our house on used to be the site of a slaughterhouse. So they're all interrogating me, asking me if I'd known this, how I had known this. I had no idea. All I knew was it felt like ghost cows. And then another small side note was I had always been afraid of my house burning down. I think that's a pretty normal fear as a child. They try and make you prepared, but it just scares you. I was always a little scared of it, but when we moved into our new house, that fear was just intense. And I chalked it up to it being a new house and having new things in there. And But it was really anxiety-inducing to the point where like, I had a very strategic game plan as to like how I was going to wake up my family, how we were going to get out, what I was going to take. It was really intense. I had nightmares constantly. And another fun fact is that when the slaughterhouse, when it was at its end, it ceased to exist because it burned down. From what I understand, it was a large fire. A lot of the animals didn't make it out. So yeah, that really kind of explained my fear even further. Once I knew that, things started feeling a lot less uncomfortable, but I still felt a presence there my entire time growing up in that house. A couple of years ago, my dad decided to do some landscaping and knock some trees down and really just kind of change up the property a little bit. And he uncovered some of the area where the slaughterhouse had stood. And there was still like some debris and just like cement there from where the floor used to be. And I stood on it the last time I was home and it just was like a very overwhelming feeling. And I wish I could say something more happened but I haven't felt any sort of presence since I've been back there since he did that unearthing of the previous flooring. So that's my short little story. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's really great. I really look forward to it every week. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. You know, my dad built the house that I grew up in. And we still experienced several different quote-unquote paranormal episodes. So I don't think the age of the building is an automatic disqualifier. But despite that, it sounds like you had more of a psychic experience, Sarah, rather than an experience with ghosts. To me, it almost sounds like you were able to pick up on the energy left behind by the animals that met their ends there rather than a direct connection to the spirits of those animals themselves. Now, if you're not freaked out by it, Sarah, maybe explore it just a bit. Go to a historic area and see what you pick up on. 
write down anything you think of. Then, go back and compare notes. You never know. You just might have a talent you didn't even know you had. If that's the case, thanks for sharing it with us. So you've probably heard of microdosing. And if you haven't, I'm here to tell you how truly life-changing it can be especially for people who struggle with issues like anxiety, pain, or insomnia. Now, if you poke around on the internet, you'll find that all sorts of people are microdosing to feel better, enhance creativity, and elevate their moods. The times have changed, so don't be left behind. Now, before you tense up, let me just say, microdose gummies by today's sponsor, Lumi Labs, are federally legal in the United States. And while these gummies do contain cannabinoids, I'm not talking about getting quote-unquote high in that stereotypical sense. I'm talking about entry-level small doses of THC, CBD, terpenes, and minor cannabinoids that are great for mood enhancement, creativity, relaxation, reducing pain and tension, and also to help you sleep. Now, I admire Lumi's mission to raise awareness around the concept of microdosing cannabinoids for general wellness purposes. And they really do taste amazing and they make you feel great as well. The flavors I tried so far are wild berry and watermelon sorbet, and both are excellent and help me get into the creative flow and mellow out when the world's stresses begin to mount, which isn't the easiest of feats these days. Now, most folks don't hesitate to take vitamins or extracts to help them in their daily lives, and Lumi Labs microdose gummies should be no exception. And rest assured that Lumi's gummies come from organic, U.S.-grown hemp, from small family farmers. Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, just do a quick search online or go to microdose.com and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com and code MONSTERSAMONGUS. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that sound from your crawl space. Now this next entry just might have you counting down the minutes. Literally. Brad, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, this is Brad. This is probably the strangest thing that has ever occurred to me and it's the only thing I don't have an explanation for. I mean, you know, ghosts are one thing, you know, spirits, shadow men, they can all kind of be attributed to extra energy, especially in in places that are emotionally intense, like churches and funerals and graveyards and stuff like that. But what happened to me is a little weirder, uh, a little harder to explain. I'll take you back. The year is about 2016. I was living in St. Louis, Missouri with my girlfriend at the time, and we decided that we wanted to go camping. This was, I think, like August. It was end of summer, not quite yet fall. You know, it was a weird time to go camping. It was after everybody else likes to go camping, but before the fall camping. So it was a really strange time. We decided to go up north about, I don't know, two hours of South County, which is where we lived. You know, it was kind of the southern, southwestern part of St. Louis, not really the city. But we drove up about, you know, like I said, about an hour or two to this random campsite that we had found on Google. We get there about 9 o'clock at night. You know, it's hard to see too much, but it looks very beautiful. It's very secluded. You know, in a neck of the woods I had never been before. It was kind of exactly what we were looking for for our little one-night getaway. So we drive in, and we go 
down this like little driveway into the wooded area and we see this sign and it, it runs off the honor system you know there was no one to speak to no one to answer any questions or tell you what to do there was just a little rule page and then a little box you put in your amount of money you're paying for the night i think it was twenty dollars a night so we made the deposit looking confused because you know there's no one to talk to no one to tell us where to go so we just drove on in and pretty much had our pick of the campsite I mean, it looked like there was two lots, like, you know, larger areas, uh, one right shortly after the gate, and then you go down, like, a little half-mile wooded area for another lot. So we go farther down. Uh, there's no one else at this entire campsite. I mean, it was at least a couple acres, not like a huge, you know, densely wooded area. It was kind of open, you know, outside of the little wooded area between the two lots. You know, this wasn't in, like, a huge forest or a national forest or anything really, truly exciting. It was just a place to pitch a tent for the night and, you know, have a little fun. So we go back to the second lot, which is all the way at the back. I'm not very far, but, you know, still pretty secluded. Uh, you know, we pitch our tent, we throw our fire up, and we just start hanging out. I don't really think that we had anything to drink or anything like that. I'm not a big drinker. She was, but I don't even think she was drinking. And then, you know, we were just kind of hanging out. I guess to give you a little bit of a picture, you know, like I said, it was pretty secluded, no one else around. Can't see much besides each other in the woods. You know, we were just talking, having a good time, and then, you know, we started to rain. It wasn't that heavy of a rain, but we decided to go ahead and, you know, tuck it on into the camp, I mean, into the tent. And this is where things get pretty weird. We were hanging out in the tent, just talking. I think we had called my brother just to chat for a little bit, tell him what we were up to. And then it got really, really heavy. I mean, this, this thunderstorm came out of nowhere. It went from a clear, cool night to a light rain to a thunderstorm to where we could barely hear each other. So we were not equipped for this thunderstorm at all. I mean, it was a small tent. You know, we had the basics, just a pillow and blanket for each of us. And it started to kind of flood into our tent. So we kind of hold up as best as we could, let the rain pass. And then once it had kind of calmed down, we decided to come out from the tent. You know, I like to walk around the rain. So once it was no longer a thunderstorm, it was just back to a light drizzle, I ventured outside. And what I saw outside is what absolutely blows my mind. I had stepped out into this light rain and realized that it was daylight. I just want to clarify, like I said, we'd gotten there about 9 o'clock. You know, maybe it took us an hour to get settled in, kind of hang out. And the thunderstorm was maybe you know 30 45 minutes and i mean i come outside and it is it's not bright it's like sunrise like kind of like the dawn or the dusk whichever one you know starts the day off but i was i mean immediately i was just confused i didn't know what was going on and i call out to my girlfriend at the time and i said hey come out here <laughs> she ventures out and i mean instantly she doesn't even make it out of the tent before her eyes just go wide and she starts looking around after, you know, just a few seconds of us being out there, the rain had kind of more or less stopped and it was just the, the light drizzle, you know, coming off of the trees. And at this point, I just kind of start trying to take it in, you know, take in what I'm really looking at here, you know, and like when we first got there, it was just a little driveway with a little gate, a little safety deposit box or whatever, and really nothing else to look at besides the other camping spaces, a little random grill here and there, and a place to actually throw your tent up couple campfire spots but now i'm seeing an entirely different picture there's a couple more grills and they look newer like i said it's daylight now and i realize that the, the campsite's on a person's property i'm looking straight at a house 
I mean, I come out the tent, you know, at the back of the lot and in front of me in like the first lot is a house. The little wooded area in between what was two lots is no longer there. Now it's just one massive lot and there's a house. Like we were just camping on some dude's property and this freaked us out. I'll be honest with you. You know, I had dealt with, you know, entities or whatever, you know, no big deal, just extra energy left over from a previous lifetime that much I can deal with. But walking into the freaking twilight zone is a whole nother story. I mean, we were both just absolutely floored by what we were looking at. I know that I did not see that house, you know, and I mean, it may have been dark, but this was a big house, you know, it was actually on a little bit of a hill with the back balcony kind of uh, going down the hill a little bit, you know, on some like logs, like, you know, posted up, supported pretty well. And I just, I don't know how to explain it, man. Night before, dark, secluded, just us, you know, a few campsites, a couple grills. We wake, you know, I didn't even wake up. We never went to sleep. You know, we come out the tent after, you know, an hour's worth of rain and it's daylight. There's a house. There's a bunch of grills. You know, some of the wooded area was gone. I don't know if it was missing time that I'm dealing with here or if we had entered into a different time realm. I don't know, man. I don't know anything about time travel or anything like that. That stuff is sci-fi to me. I don't understand any of it, but the campsite that we entered was an entirely different one than we exited. I mean, right down to when we left, there was a metal gate instead of just a crickety wooden gate, and the safety deposit box was no longer there. There was still a sign with rules, but again, they were updated just as much as everything else. You know, I don't know if I was just imagining things when we got there, but I mean, I can tell you, dude, I was stone cold sober the whole time, and the campsite we entered was an entirely different one than the one we exited. If you could help me explain this a little bit, I would greatly appreciate it, dude. I mean, I don't remember the name of the campsite. Really don't even remember the name of the county we were in. I just know it was about an hour or two north of South County, St. Louis, Missouri. Anyway, thank you for letting me get through this. Thank you for the podcast, and uh, you have a good one. Bye. Thanks, Brad. It's all good. More missing time. Or, as Brad suggested, perhaps a time slip of some sort. Now, regardless of what phenomena is responsible, the story reminds me of a relatively infamous incident that took place in France in the late 1970s. To help spin this yarn is Odds Bodkins from YouTube. October 1979, and two English couples, the Simpsons and the Gisbys, are driving through France en route to a holiday in Spain. Close to Montelimar, they happen upon a cobbled road lined with old-fashioned buildings and come upon a curiously old-fashioned hotel in which they decide to stay the night. The hotel had a bizarre list of characteristics. It had no modern conveniences. The doors were secured with catchers, the beds topped with bolsters, the windows were without glass, and the bedsheets were fashioned from calico. The guests at the hotel were strangers still. A lady in old-fashioned dress and button-down boots and two French policemen in Victorian uniforms. And the bill, when they finally checked out, was less than a tenth of what they were expecting. 
On their return from Spain, they sought out the hotel again, only to find it no longer there, at the end of the cobbled street. And more bizarre still, found that the photographs that they took at the hotel, that should have been in the middle of their developed film, were all blank. Almost as if the hotel never existed, and the time that they spent there never happened. Enough time slip stories are your bag. Oh, it's Bodkins. Has several on their channel that you'll probably love. Hop on over to the show notes and go check it out. Imagine how trippy it would be to find your surroundings had mysteriously changed. Better you than me, my friend. But we thank you again, Brad, for submitting the entry. You asked for it, and they listened. Our friends at Manscaped just brought back the ultra-smooth package. Now you can get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code MONSTERS. That's right, the ultra-smooth package, a specialized groin shaving kit to help buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas, is back. Now I've been a huge fan of Manscaped products for years. And I found the new Ultra Smooth Package pairs perfectly with my Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer and other various goodies from a name we all know and trust. Now, the quality here is noticeable, straight out of the box. And it's obvious a lot of research and development went into each Manscaped product. Now, included in the Ultra Smooth Package is the Crop Exfoliator, infused with ingredients to help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs as well as the Crop Gel, a luxurious shaving gel that makes you feel like you're getting a spa treatment each and every time you shave. And the Crop Shaver is not your average razor. It's smaller, it's thicker, and it includes a micro comb bar that allows for the best possible shave from any angle. And the sleek design helps hold the blade steady while it glides its way to a clean shave. Oh, and don't forget, Father's Day is right around the corner, and the Ultra Smooth Package would make an amazing gift. So get ready to feel refreshed and smooth with the relaunch Ultra Smooth Package from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code MONSTERS at manscaped.com. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the parade of nightmares. <laughs> Moving us right along, we venture to the state of Illinois. Debbie, go ahead and share your story. Hi, Derek. My name's Debbie, and I live in southeastern Illinois. The story I'm going to tell you about happened in Florida about 35 years ago. It's been a long time, so I don't remember the exact date. I was at dinner with a friend, and because I tend to think in circular patterns, I should mention that I'm calling because of a Facebook article that was popped up about the Grim Reaper. So that's what my story is about. We were having dinner, this friend and I, and he had said something about not feeling real well, and I didn't think anything of it because, you know, People have good days and bad days. And then I saw this shadow come up to the edge of our table. And I swear to God, it looked like the Grim Reaper. Now, there were people passing through it. Nobody seemed to notice it. 
I could see it. It was very clear to me, but very faint. It was like the shadow of a shadow. It was very translucent. And I turned to him and I said, we need to go to the hospital now. And he's like, no, no, I'm fine. And I said, really, we should go to the hospital. And he said, no, and let's just drop it. And he was very adamant about not going. I knew it was a mistake. We finished our meal. He took me home, dropped me off. That night, about two or three hours later, he had a massive heart attack and died. Now, I know I saw the Grim Reaper. It wasn't scary, but it was one of those moments where you're like, we need to do this. So if I ever see it again, and I always look around at people that I love that may be traveling or whatever to see if I see that shadowy figure, because, you know, <laughs> you, you get worried about your family and friends and loved ones. Another part of that story is for three days after he died, the chair that he would sit in when he came over to visit, my dog would growl at it. Three days, just growled at it. He had an ashtray that he used, and I was washing it and putting it away, and it would fly out of the dish rack just on its own. It would fly across the room. After three days, everything went back to normal, so I think he came to say goodbye, and then he left. But that's my story, and I hope you can use this, and I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you very much for share, everyone sharing their stories. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Thank you, Debbie. That sounds like a traumatizing series of events, and I'm sorry that you had to experience it, Debbie. That's sad, if you would. Maybe take a look at a photo of mine, or maybe some video of me, just in case. I have a lot of upcoming events and plans, and it would be a huge help to know if I'm going to be dead. Or come to think of it, maybe I don't want to know. Either way, we thank you, Debbie, for the incredible story. Now I think I have time to sneak in one more entry before we begin wrapping up. So Anonymous from Utah, take it away. Good morning, Derek. I want to be anonymous for this. I've called him before and left my name, but I'm going to start to call you and tell you a little bit about uh, the haunted house that I grew up in, in a small town in Utah. My parents got divorced when I was eight. This was 1974. And my mom bought a duplex. Uh, it was brand new. So that this isn't some old, you know, decrepit, quote-unquote, classic haunted house. Um, within a couple of months of us moving in, my older sister had the only bedroom down in the basement. It was a split level. Two bedrooms up, one down. And she had her own bathroom down there, but she would come up screaming in the middle of the night, saying that... Things were moving, she could hear noises, the bathroom light would turn on and off, the washer and dryer were in the basement, the laundry room, and they would turn on and off randomly. Anyway, one day I was down sleeping on the couch downstairs. I was probably nine or 10, we'd lived there a year or two. 
and she was staying at a friend's house but did not want me in her room so I slept on the couch and I heard the shower turn on and I could see the bathroom light turn on so I uh, went up and told my mom freaked out of course and she came down and turned the shower off and turned the light on and you know said something I don't remember what she said I, I don't know whether she thought I was playing a joke or not but I went back to sleep and a while later I was awoken by the same shower turning on and the light so instead of going to get my mom I uh, went in the bathroom and it was just steamy it wasn't a large bathroom so it filled up with steam pretty fast turned the shower off and for some reason I I just felt compelled to wipe the the fog off the, the mirror in the bathroom. And as I looked in the mirror, my eyes were nothing but blood and there was blood running down my face. And I looked down and, you know, looked back up and there was no blood, but I could see a little eight or nine year old boy my age peeking over my shoulder and I remember whole head blonde hair and these just brilliant blue eyes and I turned around and of course he was gone so I went upstairs to sleep on the couch that night a couple of days later I was back down I, I don't think I was supposed to be sleeping in the basement this night but I fell asleep on the couch watching Saturday Night Live if you remember back in the 70s the old gold kind of a greenish gold swivel rocker we had a couple under a window in our basement in that room. And I woke up and I could see the chair rocking. And I could see, you know, that there was no one in it. The, the rocking of the chair stopped and the feeling of the room went back to what I would call normal then. And instead of being scared, I decided to have a conversation with this entity whatever it was and I got the feeling this little boy's name was Jamie and I, I don't know how he communicated with me but I just got impressions or I I don't know I got the impression that he said my dad and one of my moms went hunting and never came back and he and his family and his other mom uh, were killed in a battle. And I had no idea of the history of this, but there was a Mormon-Indian battle. We had so much activity in this house. I moved in this house in 1974, and within a couple of weeks, my sister was, was getting the burn of it down in the basement. And we had a little activity upstairs. Uh, it, it liked to turn our microwave on. It liked to mess with electronics, turning lights on and off. When I was 10, I got a York's alarm clock. And I know what you're going to say. It, it had a 9-volt battery backup, but this did not have a battery backup. This was just a, a crappy York's alarm clock. And as I was unwrapping this on Christmas morning, it turned on. And 
My mom tore it out of my hands, looked at it, called my dad, who was her ex-husband. He told her to look for a battery backup. It did not have one. It would not turn off. It was not plugged in, and it ended up in the front yard in the snow and was never allowed back in the house. Um, anyway, I'll uh, call back. I think you'd like the stories of this house. It, it's very famous in the town where I grew up, and literally the house was blessed by every religion we could find. It was blessed by shamans. It was blessed by every religion we could find. We tried to sell the ghosts. We tried to be everything we could think of. Um, the, the stuff that that happened in the house was witnessed over a 13 or 14 year period that I, I lived in this house by literally dozens of people, you know, mostly my friends, my little brother's friends, my sister's friends, stuff would happen during Christmas parties. Anyway. Thanks for your time. Love the show. And uh, keep it up. Thanks. Now, I should point out for those that don't know, the Mormon religion previously permitted polygamy. So many practitioners had multiple wives until it was outlawed by the U.S. government. Just to clear that up. And thank you, caller, for sharing. Is a long list of activity, and I'd love an opportunity to spend a few days in a house that active. Or at least I say that now. Some of the details given remind me of one of my favorite films, A Stir of Echoes, starring Kevin Bacon. If you've seen the film, you probably catch the resemblance. And I dare mention a caller, but the film ended when they found the body of the ghost haunting the house, buried in the basement. Spoiler alert. Well, speaking of films, if you're a fan of our bonus movie review episodes, Nights at the Round Table, you can catch brand new episodes over on our Patreon page for free. That's right, absolutely free. Well, we just released a new one last week, where we tackle the indie horror flick, It Follows. So if that falls in your wheelhouse, go check it out. Again, that's free over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And that brings us to tonight's closer. But trust me when I say, this thing is far from over. But here to get us one step closer is Evan from the state of California. Hello, my name is Evan. My girlfriend's a big fan of the show. She asked me to call in and tell the story of a recent night I had camping. I was camping in a small town in California called Tobolo. This town's actually where the highway ends. It's a small valley with a small community. I had a camp set up on the valley floor. My first night there, beautiful, almost full moon, clear skies. But I had something very interesting happen. I go to bed like normal in my tent. As the night goes on, my dog becomes more restless and more scared in the tent. 
I can hear coyotes off of the distance, so I decided the only way I'm going to be able to get her to sleep is if I get her into the car with me. So I put her on the back seat of the car. I climb in the driver's seat to scrape the blanket over me. Being very claustrophobic, I can't use sleeping bags or anything tight. Now, at this point, I'm rather awake from having moved from the tent to the car. I guess bare feet on my grass can wake you up a little bit. I still to look out of the stars, enjoy the lack of light pollution. I noticed what I thought was a star above the mountaintops. I keep looking at it and it seemed to be moving in a circular motion. At first, I thought it was a satellite. And I think, that's an odd motion for a satellite. Well, with no cell phone reception, not much else to do other than sit and watch this strange light. As I sat and watched it, it bed up the circular motion and almost seemed to get brighter. Don't remember my eyes closing or me falling asleep or even having the thought of I need to go up this light and fall asleep. All I remember is waking up. The blanket that I had draped over me is now pulled tight around my body. I try to move out from underneath it. I can't. I feel my elbows moving. I see my hands moving under the blanket. I can hear my feet hitting the brake pedal as I'm panicking. My eyes were blinking like crazy, so this all kind of looks like stop motion. But one thing I was able to make out through it all was about a six-foot-tall owl standing outside my driver's window. Having a girlfriend who loves this stuff, I hear the story of the giant article. don't honestly remember what it means, but I just knew it was a thing. So I start to fight even harder. I tell it to leave me alone. I try to force it to leave. Now at this point, I'm fully hyperventilated. I am in full panic mode. Suddenly... So as I sit there and I fight it, the blinking stops. My eyes are open and I'm looking at this owl in the light of an almost full moon standing just outside my driver's window. And it just has black eyes. And I have an SUV and I'm sitting in my car and I'm looking up at it. So this thing had to be at least six feet tall. And then all of a sudden my dog barks right in my ear and I blink. And my windows are completely fogged over. I can't see anything outside. I immediately wipe the window. The owl's gone. And the light I was looking at originally was gone too. My dog was on full alert for the rest of the night. Thanks, Evan. And a big thanks to your girlfriend for sending you our way. Now, I'm quick to admit that I'm not an expert, per se. But I've heard enough to know that something strange happened to Evan. And based on that collection of information, I can posit a few legends that just may support the story Evan just recounted. The first thing I'm reminded of here is the Mexican and South Texan legend of La Lechuza. We've spoke of this owl witch in the past... But for those that missed it, Aliens on the Border from YouTube is here to fill you in. The story goes, if you hear or see a lechuza, it's best to mind your business. A lechuza is supposedly a witch who has shapeshifted into an owl in search of prey, often making crying or whistling sounds to catch your attention. If you were unlucky enough to end up in its path, you should avoid looking it in the eyes or making contact with it at all. Now, of course, Evan's story took place in Northern California, far from the sun-drenched reaches of La Lechuza's range. So maybe she's not the best candidate. But have you ever heard of the Owl Man of Morning? 
So what do we know about this creature? Well, our story begins in April 1976, when two young girls, June and Vicky Melling, aged variously 12 and 9 years old, were on holiday here with their parents. They were enjoying the fine spring scenery and sunny weather when, so we're told, the two girls were terrified by a feathered birdman monster that they saw hovering above the tower of the old church. Now, we have quite a good idea of the appearance of this creature thanks to a sketch that the two girls produced. They were reportedly so terrified by this apparition that the family cut short their holiday by three days. Now this was merely the first among many reports of a strange apparition that soon became known as the Owl Man of Mornan. Now like Lechuza, this monster isn't one and done. It's now concrete in local popular culture. And, believe it or not, like Lechuza, the sightings continue. Two 14-year-old girls, Sally Chapman and Barbara Perry, were camping here in the July of 1976. At about 9 o'clock one evening, they heard a strange hissing noise in the trees. They looked up and they saw the same strange Birdman monster that had been seen here just a few months earlier. And they also produced very good sketches, giving us some idea of what they saw. Here is a detailed description of the Owlman. Try matching it up to Evan's description. See how that makes you feel. So as you can see, the Owlman is meant to be about five foot tall. It's a feathered creature with bird-like wings. It has claws on its wings, long legs, and black pincers for feet. It has a really strange cone-shaped head, ear-like projections, glowing red eyes, and a black upturned mouth. Now those clips were all part of a short documentary on the entity, and comes to us courtesy of Ferrum College Television. By the way, a link to all of tonight's media can be found in the description of the episode's post or at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash show notes. The materials I source are typically rare, little known, or just downright awesome. So check them out next time you're bored. Anyhow, as intriguing as the Owlman is, I can't help but think that the UK and California just seem to be too much of a stretch. Literally. And, like Lechusa, the behavior described from prior encounters simply doesn't jive with what Evan reported. Which leaves us with one final option. One that most longtime listeners have undoubtedly been screaming at me for the past 20 minutes. Aliens. How could that be so? I hear you asking from the other side of the ether. Well, let's start right here. He's driving down the road at night. He sees this big owl on the side of the road. It's like four foot tall. And he goes right up to it. He rolls his window down. He looks right at it. It's right next to his driver's side window. And he looks at this big four foot tall owl. And he gets a really bad feeling. And he drives home. Later, he's a photographer. Later, he goes into the woods, and you know, he knows there's an owl's nest in a tree, so he's taking pictures of this owls. And he's looking at the owls, and he says, I don't think that was an owl I saw on the side of the road. So he went through hypnotic regression to try to figure out what he actually saw. And he said that nothing really emerged in the hypnosis session except that he has a, memory, a vague memory of the owl wearing boots. Okay, so there's no, nothing proof here, but what is, what is commonly reported is this tall, four-foot-tall owl. An owl in boots. 
Nothing unsettling about that. Now it's important to note that the voice you just heard was of Mike Cleland, author, researcher, and the authority on the Alien Al connection. A connection that I'll allow him to explain in his own words. So, so the implication is that the gray alien is using some sort of psychic impression to distort the observer's mind. This is so common in the literature. And I've heard it many times. You listen to the hypnosis transcripts or the hypnosis recordings where someone will say like, oh, I saw a four-foot owl on the road. And then the hypnotherapist says, describe the owl. Well, it's bald. It's got big black eyes. It's skinny. It's wearing a shiny uniform. It's got long fingers and... I don't think that's an owl. It's very commonly reported that at the end of a UFO contact experience, the beings, oftentimes the gray aliens, will kind of say, you will remember us as owls. In the literature, this is called a screen memory. So there's a screen, somehow that they use either technology or psychic means to distort what the witness is seeing. Now both of those clips come courtesy of the Concrete Podcast. And they go on to discuss at great lengths, if you're interested. You know where to find the link. So barring some unforeseen logical explanation, Evan. A man in a suit. A wild hallucination. Some sort of bad dream. I'm afraid most of the folklore, at least, suggests that some sort of alien abduction event took place. Now I doubt it's Likely, but perhaps someone listening may have had a similar experience near that location. Until those calls come in, however, I'll allow this strongly handled gentleman to share his strange owl experience as well. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to give my real name, so I'm going to go by the lone gunman. If you know, you know. <laughs> but I just want to real quick say that I was just listening to season 12, episode 5. And there's a story of a lady who was talking about watching the fourth kind and the owls transforming into the alien. I thought I was just like kind of going crazy when this first happened to me. So just make a long story short, weeks, maybe a month or so before this movie even came out or was released, any kind of trailer, I had a dream that I was in a movie theater with my best friend at the time. And we were watching the trailers before the actual movie started. And one of the trailers was a scene from the movie trailer itself, I think, if I remember correctly, where it just zooms in on this owl's eyes. And then it slowly transforms into the alien. As soon as that happened in my dream, I woke up. And it's haunted me since then because shortly after that, for a whole week, I was just so paranoid that... I know it's going to sound crazy that aliens were after me because I would feel like I was being watched. Like if I was aware of something, like I had become aware of something because of that dream. And for a whole week, I couldn't sleep. Like I would have nightmares. And I remember one vividly where I was at my friend's house, I was sleeping on his couch. And like they came in through the roof and they were just like watching me sleep in his house. And it's like I was watching them watch me, if that makes sense. But yeah, I just thought it was crazy that someone else had like a trigger moment, uh, for lack of better words, from that movie. And I told my wife about it. And of course, her being a lone person, you know, takes it with a grain of salt. But I always found it strange. 
you know, uh, we like to think there's alien beings out there, but you never know. One can never say for sure. But yeah, I just found that interesting that someone else had an experience because of this movie. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I don't know if I said I was from South Texas, but yeah, I'm from South Texas. I love the show, so keep up the good work. See you later. Once you get owls on the mind, they seem to show up everywhere. A huge thanks to Evan and the Lone Gunman for sharing those entries. Freaky stuff, for sure. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you have a few free moments, please rate and review the show wherever possible. And while you're online, follow us on our social media accounts and Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you don't mind doing me a favor, hop on over to YouTube, subscribe to the Monsters Among Us podcast channel, and maybe like a video or two. I sure do appreciate it. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Tonight's bonus entry comes to us from the smallest state in the Union, and one we frankly don't hear from all that often. But here to remedy that is our anonymous caller from the state of Rhode Island. Hey man, love the podcast. Been listening for about a year now. Uh, This story actually happened this past 4th of July. I was at my girlfriend's grandmother's house. Uh, She lives on the beach. Uh, here in Rhode Island, and while I was uh, over at the house, I went out kayaking, we went fishing, so we were out in the water, I wasn't really looking at my phone. Now, a couple of months prior, her grandfather passed away, and she was very close to her grandfather, her whole family was. They were all at the house, and her grandfather owned a gas station right down the street, A few months before he passed away, so later last year, he sold the business and deactivated the phone line. The the building's gone, everything. So my mom was texting me while I was out at sea fishing because she got a phone call from the service center that my girlfriend's grandfather owned. I just happened to be out in the middle of the ocean while my mom gets a phone call from my girlfriend's grandfather's gas station that doesn't exist anymore and my mom never met her grandfather or or anything like that there would be no reason for that number to call and that number is out of service so I asked the family when we got back my mom was you know terrified she thought someone was trying to get in touch with her and that something had happened to me Uh, 
Yeah, the family was couldn't believe it because the, the phone number isn't even active anymore. So uh, crazy story. Uh, they, of course, you know, feel like it may be something paranormal. And uh, who knows? But again, thanks, man. Love the podcast. Thanks, caller. That's eerily similar to some campfire stories that I've heard over the years. No, I can't say that I know a lot about phone systems, but perhaps someone out there listening does. And maybe that person can tell us how this could have happened, how a call could have come from a quote-unquote deadline. Until then, thank you, caller, for taking the time to share that story with us. And this is where the beyond begins. Remember to join the $5 Patreon level to access the following bonus content at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Now, without further ado. So you know tonight's special guest as the host of Blurry Photos podcast, the co-host of Quiz Quiz Bang Bang podcast, and as of recently, the co-host of Hysteria 51 podcast, but you guys know him as the co-creator of the soon-to-be-released Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle documentary. Please welcome David Flora. David, thanks for coming by. Hey, Derek. What's going on, man? 